All right, let's have the kids stand. I'm going to pray for them and for the rest of our service. Lord, thanks so much for the worship this morning and singing about you and what you've done for us. We ask um, your continued blessing on our children, that um, their hearts would become fast attached to yours, Lord. We pray that you'd use the preaching of your word um, this morning to accomplish that and the catechism class as well to accomplish that, God, that you would um, train them in the things of you and that um, they would come to know you at an early age. Lord, we ask for your uh, blessing on the rest of this service. We thank you for the worship team, um, for their ministry um, to us um, and to you, God. And we thank you, Lord, for their um, willingness um, to serve week after week. And we pray, God, that your word would go forth and do the work uh, that only it can do, Lord, that you would use it um, by your spirits um, to touch minds and hearts today. And we pray this uh, with the authority that we have in Jesus. Amen. All right, the kids can head out. Um, did you guys have a good Christmas? Yes? Get all the gifts that you wanted? No, okay. Well, that's all right. That's what for Christmas is next year, right? <laughs> all right. Um, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 30. If you don't have a Bible, there should be Bibles um, in the chairs in front of you underneath. Deuteronomy chapter 30, we're going to start in verse 15. It says, See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away, and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess, to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. Um, you know one of the things I like about the Bible? I like many things about the Bible. Um, but what I like is that if you read the Bible... Um, from beginning to end, whether you start in Genesis and go to Revelation, or whether you go um, chronologically, which would also entail starting in Genesis and ending in Revelation, but the book order would be a little bit different, um, is that you see one clear theme throughout the scriptures. And that is God having a rescue plan for his people. From the very beginning, Genesis, he sets it up perfectly, and within a couple chapters... Um, mankind messes it up um, quite well. Um, but a rescue plan is set up, and we get hints of it from the very beginning in Genesis, and it becomes clearer and clearer. God reveals more and more to us as time goes on, and we see the revelation come to fruition um, in the life 
of Jesus. Um, this speech here given by Moses in Deuteronomy 30 that we just looked at, um, he is uh, about to bring the Israelites to the edge of the Jordan River, and they've already made a covenant at Mount Sinai, right, when the Ten Commandments were given. There's actually many more commandments were given. Does anyone know how many commandments total were given? I hear some whispers, but... 613. Give that man a gold star. <clears throat> Good job. 613. Um, that's what was given, and, and the covenant was made at Mount Sinai. But what happens? They, they check out the land. The spies come back, and they're like, dude, we, we can't do this. It's horrible. There's giants in the land. We're going to be destroyed. And so basically the people rebel against God, right? And they say, okay, we're not going in. We're, we're, we're freaking out. So they receive... Um, disciplined by the Lord, right? And, and what is the punishment? Forty years, right? But really, the punishment was actually death. Because what, he, what did he say to them? Um, all of you, um, basically, that are, that are young adults and older are not going to enter the land. You will perish in the desert, and your children will be the ones that come forth. So fast forward those 40 years, okay, that original generation, all of them had passed away. So here Moses brings them to the edge of the Jordan, and he is renewing the covenant. Why? Because, because their parents made the original agreement. And so he's reiterating the covenant to them. Deuteronomy means the second law or the second telling of the law. So he's telling them the law a second time and is renewing the covenant with the children. And what is he saying? Hey, as he, if you read, if you go back a chapter or two and you read it, he's saying, hey, your, your parents, I mean, they screwed up. Okay? Um, they messed it up. They chose death and evil. They chose the desert instead of the land flowing with milk and honey. They chose a golden calf instead of me. But now is your chance. And what are you going to do with it? So he tells them to choose life. Look at verse 19. He says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life in death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life. Choose life. Now, it seems like an easy, an easy answer, like the life and good he talked about earlier, or the death and evil. Like, oh, which one am I going to choose? Not a very hard choice, right? Um, but the parents made the wrong choice. So here he is saying, hey, they chose the death and evil, and don't choose that. That's, that was a bad decision. Choose the life. It seems obvious. I mean, it seems obvious to us. We can look back and kind of, it's easy to uh, look back. Hindsight's twenty twenty. We can look back and judge them for all the bad things they've done. Um, but the same thing happens today to people. I mean, the, the choice is set before every person. Um, life and good or death and evil, and many, many, many people don't choose life and good. 
And see, here's the thing. When it comes to choosing, um, people see it like this. Um, they see God over here, and, they, and then they see his commands over here. And they're like, oh, I, I want to choose God, right? I, I, like, I like Jesus. I like who he is. He seems pretty cool. But then you got his commands over here, and they really don't want to have anything to do with that. Um, but even in this passage here, uh, look back. It says, um, where is it at? In verse 16, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, that's, that's choosing him, that's wanting God, that's wanting the Son, Jesus. But then it goes, by walking in his ways and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and rules. See that? I mean, they go together. Okay? It's, it's really not possible just to, to choose God and not choose the commandments. We try to have a dividing there, but it, it's really not even possible um, to do that. Choosing God really entails choosing his commandments. And here's the thing. We choose the good because God is good. That's why we choose. We choose the right because God is righteous. We choose the holy because God is blameless. We choose the pure because God is pure. And we know what is good, what is right, what is holy, what is pure, what is blameless, because God reveals himself to us. And he shows us that he is good, he is right, he is holy, he is pure, he is blameless. And what happens is, a lot of people, when they start thinking about God's commandments, they see all these negative commands. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Don't. There's just tons of negative commandments. In the Old Testament, there's a couple hundred um, positive commandments. Okay, David said 613. Uh, a little, around half, a little bit less, are, are actually positive commandments. In the New Testament, believe it or not, uh, there's actually a little less than twice as many commandments in the New Testament. That's quite a bit. Uh, about 1,000, roughly. And many, 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 many of those are positive commandments. They're do's. They're not don'ts. They're do's. But when people sometimes take a step back, and if they're examining Christianity, all they focus on is the negatives and the don'ts. And those are there. Um, but that's really not what the focus for the Christian or that God has placed on his word. Um, and what happens is people end up thinking that, that God is, is like this killjoy. But what he is doing with his law, with his commandments, is if you, if you examine all 613 in the Old Testament, all 1,050 roughly in the New Testament, you see a couple of things. But he's protecting, actually, certain classes of people. He's protecting certain classes of people. He's protecting women. He's protecting children. He's protecting orphans. He's protecting widows. And if he's not, if he's not doing that, then he's protecting institutions. He's trying to safeguard them. Institutions like the family. Institutions like marriage. Institutions like society at large. He is trying to set it up in a way that glorifies him best. So yes, there's don'ts in there, but there also are do's. Now, none of us would think a dad is a killjoy if he told 
his young child, don't touch the hot stove, right? Okay. Um, the joy will be killed if the young child touches that hot stove, okay? Um, don't wander onto the highway. Dad, you're such a killjoy. No. <clears throat> he is setting things up to protect us and protect him, his creation. So God's commands, and this is what I want you to get. This is one of my key things. God's commands are set up to provide maximum enjoyment of him. Maximum enjoyment of him. Now, maybe some of you are saying, I don't know about that, Pastor. Okay. But think about this. Sin never leads to enjoyment of God. Sin never leads to enjoyment of God. And you will enjoy God most when you're not sinning. You'll enjoy him the most when you're seeking after him. And guess what? Um, you will enjoy his world the most when you enjoy him the most. So God wants to bless and bless and bless. Okay? The commandments aren't, aren't set up to, to really restrict us from enjoyment. They're actually set up to, to help procure our enjoyment, our enjoyment of him and our enjoyment of his creation. Um, he doesn't restrain joy. He wants to enable it in the fullest sense. And if you know the one true God, you'll have joy. And as your relationship with him grows, you will continue to have that joy. Um, if that's not happening, then guess what? You're either not saved or you're not growing. It's one of those two. Think of the two greatest commandments for a second. Look in, uh, in Matthew Keep your, your finger here, but look in Matthew 22 in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 22. All right, in verse 34. It says, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? So they bring, this is the question that they're asking Jesus. And Jesus said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Are these positive commandments or negative commandments? Positive, right? So positive commandments. And Jesus is essentially saying everything kind of boils down to these two commandments. And they're positive commandments. God always encourages us towards the good. He always encourages us towards the right. He always encourages us towards the whole, the pure, the righteous. If there is a commandment, negative or positive, it is for the benefit of the follower. It's not a punishment. It's a blessing. That doesn't mean the commandment is easy to follow, right? Some of them are pretty challenging, including these two here, probably the toughest two to actually follow and live out. Uh, but it's for our benefit, not our punishment. And here's the thing, if I can just say a word to the parents for a second. Um, we need to take this to heart ourselves when it comes to our own children. Um, because here we are training our children, 
And I think, me included, we use too many negatives with our kids. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And there's a lot of don'ts, okay? Um, and, and there should be don'ts. But there needs to be a lot of positive commands. There needs to be a lot of positive just comments, positive affirmations. Um, every time we're, we're trying to instruct and lead and guide, we need to affirm them for the good things that they're already doing. And a lot of times we just kind of assume that, oh, they kind of know that. Well, maybe. I don't know. Some of them don't. Um, but it is always good to be encouraged that you're doing the right thing. Even, I mean, even God does that with us. Okay? Um, and we, as parents, need to make sure that we're doing the same thing. You know, what's the flavor? I've, I've said this before, but, like, what's the flavor um, in our house, right? Is it kind of a negative flavor, or is it a positive flavor? Um, because our kids will pick up on that. So I, I encourage parents, you know, a positive, encourage them, okay? I know it's hard sometimes, right? Because you're like, oh, if they could only do this and 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 this, right? Then we'd be getting somewhere, all right? Find those areas. They are there and encourage them, affirm them. Um, look at Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6. I want you to see this. And then I'm going to make a, an application for us. In Deuteronomy 6, um, verse 4, this is called uh, the great Shema. It literally means just the great word. Um, and Jews recite this on a daily basis. Verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And this is what I want us to pick up. And you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. What's, what's the essence there? All the time, right? All the time. So I encourage you to take advantage of, of the downtime that you get with your kids. All right? My downtime is when we're traveling between, between um, basketball games. You know, we got 30 minutes in the car. There's downtime there. Or I'm, I'm driving a kid um, to one of his classes. I'm picking up the kids um, from school. There's downtime because you're in the car, right? Um, use that as an opportunity for instruction, for training, for encouragement, for positive affirmation. Use it to talk about the things of the Lord. Guess what? Most of our kids, it's going to be hard for them to talk about the things of the Lord, depending on kind of what age they're at. Well, you know what that means? You're going to have to do most of the talking. Okay? Try to engage, ask questions, um, and depending on what their personality and their character is, you're going to have to fill that void of silence. And sometimes there's a lot of silence. So talk, encourage, affirm. Um, don't just be present. Okay? I've, I've, uh, I go to a lot of basketball games because all my kids play. And I see different parents there with their kids. And I've noticed before... Uh, a parent can sit next to their kid in the stands for like the entire game, whether it's a 30 minute, 45 minutes, an hour, 
and they might not ever say one word to their kid. That's a missed opportunity. Okay? Um, don't, just, don't just be present, like engage. Okay? It doesn't have to be a 30-minute conversation, but just you know, stay involved in them, in their life. Um, time is short, and, and we want our kids to choose life, right? We want them to choose life, and we need to shepherd them towards that. Um, why do we, each of us, why should we choose life? Well, look back in Deuteronomy. You're going to see this answer in Deuteronomy 30 that we were looking at. He makes it pretty clear. See, the, the Old Testament, it's got some good stuff there, all right? And um, if sometimes we're, you know, having our quiet time, we're reading our Bible, we think there's some dry parts in the Old Testament, eh, there, there can be, sure. Um, but, but it's there, it's there for a reason. And sometimes we can just end up kind of speed reading through sections and we can miss stuff, all right? Um, there's some good stuff, very, very, very good stuff, including in this passage. So at the end of 19, he says, Therefore choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him, for he is your life. Okay, why do we choose the life? Because he is the life. And this is the same thing that Jesus tells us, right, in the New Testament. John chapter 14 what does he say in verse 6? I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. I remember when I was in college, I was uh, at the University of, of Missouri, Columbia, and I was a religious studies major. And um, obviously being a secular university, they don't have the highest view of the Bible. Um, <clears throat> and so one day, um, as I got higher up in my um, classes, the classes you know, kind of get smaller, as you get higher up in your classes. And so we were in a, a religious, it was a religious seminar, and they had a professor come from the University of Chicago. Well, the University of Chicago for religious studies is like the university um, to go to if you wanted to get like a master's or even a doctorate. So to have a professor come um, was, you know, <clears throat> uh, an honor, you know, to the religious studies students, so to speak. So anyway, we're listening to this um, professor give this guest lecture, and she says basically something about like all religions are equal, and, and Jesus never made any claim that he was special or anything like that. And I was like, what? <clears throat> and so, I, um, you know, I went up to her, I went up to the, the lecturer afterwards, and, and my normal professor was, was standing next to her, and, and I could tell that she was pleased I was, I was coming up. Um, to, to engage the professor. She, she wasn't going to be pleased for very long. Um, but I just, I just said, you know, hey, I noticed that you made this comment that you kind of think like all religions are the same and Jesus never made any like special claim to who he was. And, and like, what do you think about John 14, 6, where it's like he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And she kind of tried to, you know, brush it off. Well, I think he was just saying, you know, like he was a way or a truth or a life. Um, and I was like, well, that's interesting, you know, because I've, I've actually taken, I've taken Greek, which is what the New Testament was originally written in, and I think that's an important, important verse to look at. And um, so I've looked at that, and um, there's a definite article there, the word the, right? 
he is the life. Like, if he wanted to make it crystal clear to us, he would use the word the, and he did, over and over and over. I am the way, not a way, but I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And then he says, if, if that wasn't clear, he goes on to say, no one comes to the Father but through me. I mean, he made it, he made it pretty clear. He's the life. Uh, a couple of chapters earlier, John 11, his friend has died. What does he tell his sister? I am the life and the resurrection. Okay? Not a life, not a resurrection. And the words that he links around it, I think, are important. He's talking about the way. He's talking about the truth. He's talking about the resurrection. And it's all around the life. What's interesting there is there's two Greek words he could have chosen there for life. Okay? He could have just chosen uh, the word where we get biology from, bios. Okay? Just like the physical life, like the life, our physicality, that type of life the biology of life. He could have chosen that word, but he chose a different word, zoe. Okay? Um, that, entails, that entails like the spiritual life, the eternal life. Okay? So he was saying, look, I'm more than just like, I'm, I mean, I'm life. That'd be kind of weird just to be like, I'm physical life. No, he's saying, I am much more than that. Okay? I am the eternal life, and I can give it to you because that's who I am, I can give you eternal life. Now today, we're going to have a couple people baptized. And that's right. Um, baptisms represent new life. It represents a change has occurred. Uh, what is that change? Internal or external? It's a trick question. It's both, right? <clears throat> But the internal occurs first, right? Because the internal has changed, the inner person, now the external changes, what they do, what they say, how they act, how they treat people. But there's new life. That's what is represented. If you say you have the new life, but you don't act like you have the new life, then you need to ask if you really have the new life. Okay. So if you have that new life, it should be apparent to people. Um, I remember after I trusted in, in Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins, um, my friends saw the difference. Now, the older you get, you know, if you make that decision much later in life, usually there's a much bigger contrast between who you were and who you are. But I remember one of my friends um, coming to me, and, and she said, I want the old Mike back. That's what she said. Um, and I said, you know, he's gone, and he is, he's not coming back, right? Um, this baptism that we're going to see here in a few minutes, it's a vivid representation of what happens in a person's life when they trust in Jesus. When they trust in him for, for the forgiveness of their sins, when they realize, like, wow, I've, I've got major sin. I got major stuff that I do wrong, and I need forgiveness for that. We can try to change on our own. It really doesn't work. We can try to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. <clears throat> um, but, but Jesus changes us on the inside. 
It's an inside change. And this water back here, let me check if it's warm for you guys. Oh, yeah. Um, there's, nothing, there's nothing special about that water. <clears throat> um, there's nothing magical about it. The water doesn't do anything. Um, the change has already happened in Kennedy. The change has already happened in Tiffany. What they're doing here is they're making a public testimony. That's why their friends and family are here, right? They want them to see that they've made this declaration a public declaration for their friends, for their family, for their um, church family to see that they have chosen Jesus and they choose to identify with him. That's who they identify with. Um, here, is, here is the gospel. The gospel means good news. And the gospel is this. God sent his son, the one that's the way and the truth and the life, the one that's the resurrection and the life. He sent his son to live the perfect life that we couldn't live. We messed it up. We messed it up ourselves, right? Adam and Eve messed it up originally, and we live in a fallen world. We were singing about it today, right? Um, about God's grace and mercy, far as the curse is found. Well, guess what? The curse is found pretty far. All throughout this world, the curse is on this world. And Jesus comes, remember what I said at the very beginning, the rescue mission. It's a rescue mission. Who is he here to rescue? Each one of us. And each one of us needs a rescuer. We need a savior, someone to save us. But guess what? In order to be saved, we have to admit that we need to be saved, right? Um, in order to have a savior, we need to be saved from something. It's Jesus saving us from our sins and asking us, hey, I want to give you eternal life. Will you trust in me for that eternal life? Will you ask for forgiveness of sins? I paid it on the cross. That's what he says. He was nailed up to the cross, and three days later he rose again, showing that death, even death, right? Because he's the life. So if he's the life, then death can't, even death can't keep him down. So the life overcomes the death. And because he has overcome it, he can offer the life to each one of us. But if he overcomes it, guess what? It has to come through him. That's why he says, no one can come to the Father but through me. Why? Because he's the life. He's the life. No other major religious leader ever claimed that or has ever claimed that. No major one has, but he did. And if he's going to claim it, he better back it up with some pretty good evidence. I'd submit to you that raising from the dead is pretty good evidence that he's the life. So I encourage each of you to trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Ask him to forgive you. It is a, a cleansing thing that he will do in your life from the inside out. Um, and it is an amazing thing to enter into a relationship with the creator of the universe. The very fact that he offers us that is amazing. And he offers, just as the Israelites stood and renewed the covenant, he offers you the same thing, to covenant with him, to come into relationship with him. So my encouragement for each one of you today 
is choose life. Choose the life that's found in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you do give us a choice to make. You give us the opportunity to choose. And you want us to choose you. You want us to choose your son. And Lord, you know people's hearts here, and only you do. And I pray you would speak to their hearts now. And wherever they're at, God, whatever they're dealing with, whatever they're struggling with, whatever's going on in their life, that you would speak to each one of them. And some of them, you're going to have to knock down some, some hearts of stone and, and break down some walls to get through, but you can do that because you're a big God. And Lord, I, I pray for people that have already trusted. They've already trusted in you, Lord. They've already chosen that life. Lord, I pray that they would continue to choose the life and the good. I pray they would, they would see clearly that your commandments are for their good. That they would choose you, the holy, the righteous, the pure, the blameless, the good God. And we thank you that it is in your Son that we have life. That we don't have to jump through a bunch of hoops to receive eternal life. We have to come to you humbly and trust in your Son. What you did through him on the cross and in the grave. And we thank you that we can have eternal life through your son, Jesus. Amen.